Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Francis is now just basically lying about his intentions with Traditionus Custodus. Some say that he is doing so because of the backlash he received upon its promulgation, not only from meany doo-doo-headed trads like myself, but from the people who he really cares about, the voices in the secular world who are puzzled by the tone of his document, and by the intention and energy spent on what amounts to less than 1% of the Catholic world. But that's not really it, either. I'll go over all of that a little today, but show you what is really going on with this document, and what obedience it demands from us. You may think using the word lying is too strong here, but at the end of the day, we have to be honest with ourselves. And frankly, it isn't the first falsehood anyone has caught Pack-a-Papa Francis in anyway. Going back to at least the Pack-a-Mama event itself in 2019, when he blatantly told the world a falsehood about the idols being of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So let's talk about obedience in the latest twists of Traditionis Custodis, which is absolutely the biggest document of Pack-a-Papa Francis's presumed pontificate to date. Catholic Family News and 1 Peter 5 both published a piece by Matt Gaspers about an interview given by the great deformer himself to a Spanish outlet called Cope, which is just too perfect, wherein he said that the document, meaning Francis, had been reported as having a Francis pounding his fist on the table tone, to which it absolutely did, Traditionus Custodis had that tone to it. Francis the Great and Merciful, of course, responds to that, saying he doesn't do that, that in real life he is quite shy which I found funny because anyone who pays attention to know him knows that he isn't shy, and if he really is shy, then he has literally the worst job in the world for a shy person to have. But he gives us a background on some more pontificum from his perspective, in theory, its origins in the Ecclesia Dei document of John Paul II, how wonderfully humane and merciful a document some more pontificum was under Benedict XVI. And then Francis shifts some of the blame subtly to Benedict when he said three years after Samorum Pontificate, Pontificum, Benedict felt a survey of the bishops about its implementation was needed, and then said that he decided in 2019 a survey in 2020 was needed again. Quote, after three years, he goes on, Benedict said that the, an evaluation had to be made. An evaluation was made, and it seemed that everything was going well, and it was fine. Ten years passed from that evaluation to the present, and last year we saw with those responsible for the Congregation for Worship and for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith that it was appropriate to make another evaluation of all the bishops of the world. Pope Francis offers no explanation as to why it was appropriate to make another evaluation in 2020. Neither did Cardinal Luis Ladaria, Prefect for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, who stated in his very brief letter to the chairs of Episcopal Conferences of March 7, 2020, that His Holiness Pope Francis wishes to be informed about the current application of Samorum Pontificum. Thus, it, it was simply Francis's will to be informed that produced the 2020 survey, for purposes which now appear obvious. After the completed surveys were submitted and studied, according to Francis, the concern that appeared the most was that something was done to help pastorally those who have lived a previous experience was being transformed into ideology. In other words, over the past 13 years, the traditional Latin Mass has gone from being a nostalgic experience to an ideological tool, something something exploited to widen the gaps, reinforce the divergences, and encourage disagreements that injure the church, block her path, and expose her to the peril of division, according to Francis in his letter to bishops accompanying Traditionis Custodis. So, he says, we had to react with clear norms in order to support and consolidate some more pontificum. 
The claim is quite bizarre in light of Article 8 of Traditionis Custodis, which states, Previous norms, instructions, permissions, and customs that do not conform to the provisions of the present modu proprio are abrogated. End quote. Now, the first of the falsehoods is about the survey itself. Numerous bishops in America, the UK, and France reported never having received the survey. And elsewhere, we know from the mouth of papal biographer himself, Austin Ivory, that Francis was told in his ad limina visit to the bishops in that year that Francis was told by a few American bishops informally and verbally that something needed to be done about the Latin Mass that had become the Mass that divides, as Ivory put it in the article of his that I featured here on Monday. As an article in Crux Online said after Traditionis Custodis was released, and they downplay it a lot here, but they do talk about it briefly here, quote, After consulting some of the 20 prelates from the five corners of the world, Crux found that each bishop's conference received the questionnaire and decided on their own how to implement it. In some countries, such as Chile, archbishops received it, but not ordinary bishops. In neighboring Argentina, every bishop received it, but many didn't answer because there's no significant presence of priests and faithful who favor the Tridentine Mass in their area. In the United States, the questionnaire was reportedly sent to every bishop, though at least one didn't recall receiving it, and if he did, he said he didn't respond. In Australia, every diocese received it, but in Europe and in Africa, its distribution seems to have been more uneven. End quote. Now, other outlets later reported numerous American bishops who simply never saw the survey, and the reports were that the survey was generally neutral to positive about the traditional Latin Mass, broadly speaking, at least in the way that most of the bishops from America and the UK and France and other places, the way they actually filled it out was generally neutral to positive. So the second falsehood from Francis is that he said he merely acted to support and consolidate Samorum Pontificum. His accompanying letter to the bishops reveals that lie, where he describes all the meany divisiveness that has come since Samorum Pontificum, as if the Latin Mass were to blame for it. Then he said, quote, Responding to your requests, I take the firm decision to abrogate all the norms, instructions, permissions, and customs that precede the present motu proprio, and declare that the liturgical books promulgated by the saintly pontiffs Paul VI and John Paul II, in conformity with the decrees of Vatican Council II, constitute the unique expression of the lex orandi of the Roman Rite, end quote. And we don't even need to get into how all the other varieties of the Roman Rite liturgy here appear to have been suppressed by this document by accident, since the document was so sloppily written. But this is not the language of shoring up Samorum Pontificum, or even tightening it up, but rather it is the language of ending it. And that is precisely what the bishops have done with it in many places. So let's pivot briefly to Galveston, Texas, which is the latest diocese to severely curtail access to the Latin Mass, thanks to Samorum Pontificum. The Archbishop of Galveston released a letter to the document, and I saw a nice summary online about its contents, and I'll just use that, even though I did look at the whole thing. I'll spare you the whole letter. It reads, The fate of the TLM in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, Texas, has been decided by Cardinal DiNardo, effective 9-30-21. Again, these are the highlights of his long statement. I'll spare you the entire statement. Annunciation and Regina Chaley parishes, which are of the FSSP, no change. Now, Annunciation has been an indult parish since the 1980s, so that's not surprising. St. Teresa of Sugarland, St. Bartholomew, uh, to, uh, is permitted a Latin Mass twice a month, only on weekdays. Sundays and Holy Day celebrations are abolished. Prince of Peace Houston has been abrogated. The faithful are directed to attend the traditional Latin Mass at Regina Chaley, which is, again, an FSSP parish. For sacraments in the traditional rite, the faithful can make requests to Regina Chaley, the FSSP clergy. 
Clearly for some, Francis and his like-minded bishops are afraid of something with the traditional Latin Mass, and that fear is at the bottom of why they are suppressing the sacred liturgy, and should be noted with liturgical oddities that came out in the news in my reporting yesterday. If you wonder why this has been happening, what it is that they are afraid of, Aldo Marie Valli reports from the SSPX news site the following, which is worth your consideration, quote, before the publication of Traditionis Custodis, while the Pope was sequestered in Gemelli for a procedure, the Vaticanist Aldo Marie Valli issued a daily bulletin for the Church. He said on his blog on July 8th, The number of people who go to church is decreasing, vocations are falling dramatically, the number of those who believe in eternal life and the resurrection continues to decrease, the ABCs of the faith are crumbling day by day, and this is the most serious crisis, far more serious than the crisis caused by the financial messes and others perpetrated by the men of the church. But Aldemarie Valley could see a renaissance of the church on the horizon thanks to tradition, a timid re renaissance often persecuted by the official hierarchy. The church that is being reborn has nothing to do with the hierarchy and bishops' conferences and congregations of the Roman Curia. That boat has shipwrecked and sunk. The church which is being reborn, sustained by the Spirit, is a miracle of faith. Spes contra spam, hope against hope, a sign of total contradiction in relationship to the world. A church that is, I apologize for using this term, a bit gorilla, because she is not organized and often is not visible. She is there, but she is little to see, or even nothing at all to see, and she doesn't even want to be seen. She keeps the flame burning in ways that are both ancient and new. She combines tradition with the inventiveness that comes from love. She looks with dejection at the official documents, the policies, and pastoral plans. Indeed, she ignores all of this because she knows that the only thing that can come from there now is an attack on the faith. Since she thirsts for the truth, she goes directly to the source of the water that gives life, and she gathers around the very few remaining shepherds who are themselves hidden and persecuted. The, convert, the conversion that is required for us today, beyond the daily one of saying no to sin and choosing God, concerns the very way in which we think of the church, leaving behind all that we have known and entering into a new dimension, under the banner of smallnessness, hiddenness, and persecution. End quote. And it's all true. Every last word of that is true. And it sounds daunting, but remember, this is the life our forebears lived for centuries before the coming of Emperor Constantine, that our Japanese brethren in the faith lived for centuries, that the English lived for centuries, that the decades of the faithful under Soviet rule lived. I could go on and on, but even except this time, the pressures from within the church, not external to it, and that's that's the a main driver of the difference here. So what is the cause of this? Long before Vatican II, there was a push for the Church to embrace concepts like evolving or changing dogmas, an evolution of dogma and doctrine. After Vatican II, that became the de facto rule in the Church. Tradition is rigid, stalwart, and largely unchanging, at least unchanging in the sense of human innovations and accretions added to it. It may slowly change over time, but the essence remains the same. But the work of human hands is different, and when applied to, to theology and doctrine, it proves disastrous. Our duty is to remain loyal to the deposit of the faith. If you don't believe me, listen to the following words of Pope St. Pius X, who rejected innovation in his time and stood stalwartly for the faith. Quote, Progress of dogmas is in reality nothing but corruption of dogmas. I absolutely reject the heretical doctrine of the evolution of dogma, as passing from one meaning to another, and different from the sense in which the Church originally held it. And likewise, I condemn every error by which philosophical inventions or creations of the human mind or products elaborated by human effort and destined to indifferent progress in the future 
are substituted for that divine deposit held by Christ to the faithful custody of the church. Condemned and prescribed is the error that dogmas are nothing but interpretations and evolutions of Christian intelligence, which have increased and perfected the little seed hidden in the gospel. I accept with sincere belief the doctrine of faith as handed down to us from the apostles by the Orthodox Fathers, always in the same sense, with the same interpretation. End quote. Pretty strong words from Pope St. Pius X, the Pope most known for his objections to the errors of the modernists, and he was certainly writing here in, re in response to them more than a century ago. We also get this from Pope Pius XII, quote, we are not, therefore, teachers of a doctrine, drawn from human minds, but conscious of our charge. We ought to embrace and follow that which Christ our Lord taught and whose teaching, by a solemn commandment, he committed to his apostles and to their successors. Moreover, since we are very certain that this doctrine, which we must safeguard in all its integrity, is divinely revealed, repeat the words of the apostle of the nations. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach to you a gospel besides that which we have preached to you, let him be anathema. Again, those are those strong words of Pope Pius XII. They are interested in changing the church and eliminating all ties to its sacred past. That is that this first happened with the unnecessary changes to the sacraments were, with, that were made, which go well beyond merely changing the language they were dispensed in, which had been Latin, at least in the Latin rite of the church, and they did they swapped that out for the vulgar tongue, and instead they changed the form of them as well. An example of this is the rite of baptism, which used to include various exorcisms performed during the baptism. And if you've never seen a traditional baptism, you should know that it is one of the most quietly beautiful events you'll ever witness. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. They were all changed in some way, which, of course, has led many people to doubt their, the validity of them. And I'm not necessarily one who doubts the validity of those new sacraments, by the way, just as an FYI to be clear. But the changes to the Mass being the most noted, but also were this, there were changes to ordination, extreme unction, the nuptial sacrament, and the rest. And those changes were only necessary if a break in the history of the Church is what was envisioned by the powers that be in Rome after the Council. And those changes and that break is what is being protected here, in order to protect and promulgate a neo-Catholicism, which cannot survive while the more authentic thing is still permitted to exist side by side with it. Which is why the accompanying letter from Francis the Great and Merciful clearly said that the point of Samorum Pontificum, and really Traditionis Custodis, was to lead to the eventual welcome back of the faithful who are attached to the so-called old form of the Mass to the Bugnini Luther rite of the new, and the eventual closing of the old Mass entirely. If you take the words I just spoke to you from Pius X and Pius XII, it's clear that there is no obedience due to men like this, that the preconciliar pontiffs saw the push for innovation and embracing the twisted values of the world coming, and they stood against them. To that end, I have a desire to do a basic series of short videos for the weekends explaining what modernism is, and I suspect that most people don't really understand what it is, because some think that that our opposition to modernism is to oppose it and everything new on the grounds that they are new. And that's not what modernism is. It's something more insidious that, than that, which all the post-conciliar popes have been dedicated to in some degree or another. So let me know if that is something you'd be interested in, explaining what it is in everyday language without dumbing the concept down, since I think you are all more than capable of understanding the quintessential issue in our times. But in the end, some may object to me calling, saying Francis is spreading falsehoods about his own document and intentions. But if you've been paying attention, this isn't the first time either. So let me know in the comments if you if of other times you think he's spread other falsehoods so we can give examples to people who might be confused or bothered by such wor strident words about pack a papa francis but i'll give you 
some more thoughts here from another saint, one who doesn't typically get brought up when talking about obedience due to pontiffs, presumed or ones without doubts about the validity of their ascension to the papacy. And that saint is St. Peter Damien, who dealt with the various James Martin types of his day in the 12th century. He had two very short thoughts on this. Quote, by what right or by what law can one bind or loose the other when he is constrained by the bonds of evil deeds common to them both? And... Who can expect the flock to prosper when its shepherd has sunk so deep into the bowels of the devil? End quote. St. Peter Damon was one of the spiciest writers in church history, and I highly recommend you search out his works. We owe no duty to obey those who promote demonic error or who <laughs> protect sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance, because that's what Francis does as well, because of an old Catholic principle. Error has no rights, including the right to obedience. So consider that, and until then, please like and subscribe if you haven't. It really, truly does help. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.